Good morning. We're so glad that you could be at Central Church today. We are, are getting to the end, really, of our series, this Lenten series called 24. We've been looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Of course, today we celebrate Palm Sunday. Our kids came through, but we've been looking at those last 24 hours. And last week, you remember, we left off with Jesus' encounter with Pilate. And Jesus had, that, had that, that powerful moment with Pilate himself, the governor for Rome, who asked him that important, are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, you say so. That's how Matthew uh, tells the story. And, and Pilate was, was almost convinced. He was so close. And yet he took both Jesus and Jesus Barabbas, that was Barabbas, his first name was also Jesus, and he said to the crowd, which Jesus do you want? Jesus Barabbas, the murderer, the revolutionary, or Jesus the Messiah? In our minds, it seems like that would be a simple choice. And yet these people, they, they wanted Rome out. They wanted whatever it took. And they chose Jesus Barabbas. And one of the saddest verses really in, in the Bible, if you will, is when it simply says this regarding Pilate. And their voices, the crowd's voices, and their voices prevailed. He listened to the crowd. It's interesting that Pilate later wanted to put a sign, remember, on the cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, put it in three languages. And the religious leaders came to him and said, hey, 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 that's, that's not the sign. It needs to say, he claimed to be the King of the Jews. And finally, Pilate has a little bit of backbone, and he says, no, 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 what I've written, I've written, that's what it is. And you get the feeling that Pilate, he, he wanted it both ways. He wanted to say Jesus was king, but he sure wasn't treating him like a king. He wanted to say Jesus was Lord, but you can't claim him to be Lord and live like the devil. Pilate wanted it both ways. It just didn't work. And in the end, he turned Jesus over to the soldiers. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. It's in Matthew 27. But before we get there, let me remind you, it's important, I think, to understand where Matthew is coming from, the one who wrote this gospel. Matthew was a, a, a Jew. In fact, his name, his original name, his, his given name was Levi. Sometimes he's referred to as Levi. Most Bible scholars think that his parents had dreams of him becoming, following in the footsteps of Levi, the son of Abraham, who is Levi, the son of Abraham. He was the, he was the father of the tribe of priests. So it's not hard to imagine that, that they thought that their little boy would grow up to be a priest just like Levi. It'd be like if I named my, one of my boys, you know, Billy Graham Prince. You know, we'd expect, all right, well, he's going to be a preacher. So they named him Levi. But instead of becoming a priest, when he became of age, he became worst of the worst, right? A tax collector. Tax collectors were, were hated in those days. They were considered collaborators with the enemy. I gotta send in my taxes this week. Ah! <laughs> and I don't hate the tax collector, but I hate writing out that check. We pass, I, I send in, I do it quarterly, so I have to send in payment four times a year. This week, Carl and I are eating peanut butter and jelly, and the, you know, Uncle Sam eats steak, I guess. Ah, some people hate it, but they hate it. You know, I've known some people that work at the IRS. They're nice people. They're not, they're not you know, underhanded. But, oh, they hated tax collectors. No doubt, no doubt Matthew Levi was president of the How to Disappoint Your Parents Club. Because he was a certainly a disappointment. And then Jesus came along. 
And Jesus said to him while he was sitting in that tax collector booth, of all places, come and follow me. And, 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 and Levi did. He started following Jesus. And that day, his life completely changed. And so now, 20 years after Jesus, he's writing the gospel. And he's writing it to those folks that he originally thought, his parents thought would be, he would be a priest to. He's writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any other book in the Bible. And Matthew, Matthew uses language that only a, a Jew would use. He, he talks about Jesus as a long-awaited for Messiah. And Matthew doesn't, um, he doesn't explain some of the Jewish holidays like Mark and Luke do because, because, because he knows his readers understand the Jewish holidays. He doesn't need to explain it. So Matthew, most Bible scholars say he's writing to a Jewish audience 20 years, 25 years after Jesus. Here's what you need to understand. Those Jewish Christians and the people he was writing to They were probably the most persecuted people 20 years after Christ. Everybody hated them. The Romans hated them. They killed Jesus. The Jews hated them. They were following Jesus, who they said was a blasphemer. Everybody hated the Jewish Christians. This was not, oh, Christianity, it's the hot new thing. It was a hot new thing. They were burning Christians. It wasn't something that, 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 that... you would say, hey, listen, listen, listen. Become a follower of Jesus and then you might get beat on or you might get thrown in jail or you may be martyred. How about that? No, those early Christians were called Nazarenes, strangely enough, like what we're called. But then it wasn't a name of, of honor or glory. It was a name of derision. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Look at those Nazarenes. When we have membership class, we say, hey, do you want to be a, a Nazarene? Do you want to be a part of Central Church of the Nazarene? We don't say, listen, if you join, you're going to get beaten, and you're going to get spit on, and you're going to, you know, you might get thrown in jail, and you might be killed, but come, boy, we've got great potlucks. You know, it's a, we don't even do potlucks. It, it's a hard sell. So Matthew is writing to these people, Jewish Christians, and also, also people that he's trying to introduce Jesus to. Jesus is the one true Messiah. He's inviting them into the story to hear who Jesus is in this very trying time. Last week, I go, you know, I go once a week to Donna's Donuts, only on Sunday mornings, usually about uh, uh, 5.30 in the morning. And so there's not very many customers. And so I get there at 5.30, and, and last week, last Sunday... And Maddie was working. They call me Pastor Rob. I'm the pastor of the donut shop on Sunday morning. And so I come in. Hey, Pastor Rob. Hey, Maddie. And I said, how was your week? She said, oh, it was great. And she said, no, it wasn't that great. And I said, why? What happened? And she told me she had been in a car accident. And her car was totaled. And she didn't have a car. And she didn't know what she was going to do. And, and she couldn't find one. And I said, listen. I said, if you're okay with giving me your phone number, I've got a friend who can help you find a car. And so she did, and I gave the number to, to Dean, and Dean found her a car, and so I go in this morning, right? I mean, this is, what, four and a half hours ago. And I go in there, she wasn't even in the front, she wasn't at the counter, she was in the back, you know, counting money or making donuts or whatever she was doing. And but she hears me talk to Donna, not Donna who owns Donna's, but Donna the worker there. And so I'm talking with Donna, and she comes out, and she said, hey, I got a car. I said, oh, it's great, it's great. And, and I said, Dean sent me a picture, yeah, 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 and we go through, and she goes, and I'm going to come to church. 
that was me going in there and Dean being faithful and God working. She said, me and my roommate are going to come. She said, we can't come next day. We're going to be out of town, but we're going to come. That's how this works. And that's what Matthew is telling these, these, these persecuted Christians in Matthew 27. These people who, who are being beaten and, and, and treat, mistreated and even martyred for their faith. He's talking to them. And he said, I know what you're going through, but guess what? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He went through it too. Look at, at verse 27 in chapter 27. says this. When the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him, they stripped him and put him in a scarlet robe on him. Mark says it was purple. Matthew says it was scarlet. Purple, red. One of them were colorblind. Don't know which one. Here we go. And then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, took a staff, struck him on the head again and again. And then they mocked him. They took off his robe, put on his own clothes. And there they led him out away to crucify him. Matthew's point is not, look, if they treated Jesus bad, don't treat people bad. That's not his point. He's writing again to people who are being persecuted. These people that he's writing to, they're being mocked, they're being spit upon, they're being beaten, all because of Jesus. They're not on the giving end, they're on the receiving end of this cruelty. And what he's saying to these folks, is you know what? What you're going through, Jesus went through. And what you're experiencing, Jesus experienced. But they couldn't beat him. Oh, they beat him, but they couldn't beat him. Oh, they they whipped him, but they couldn't whip him. Jesus was victorious. That's what he's getting to. He's saying, listen, life can be tough. Any of you, you can relate. Sometimes life is tough. He's saying to these people, sometimes people are cruel and mean. We can relate to that. We've all had people who've been cruel and mean. Sometimes there are physical problems. (laughs) Carl and I have been seeing more doctors than Carter has pills. That's an old saying. I don't know who Carter is and I don't know why he has pills, but we've got a lot of doctors. That's the point. He's, he, sometimes, sometimes life is hard. And his point is, Jesus went through it too. And just as, as Jesus overcame, you can overcome. Romans 8.11 And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who what? Who lives in you. The power of the resurrection isn't simply that Jesus raised the dead gives us a ticket to heaven if we live in him, but he gives us power, the spirit living in you. He says it twice, Paul does. When the spirit is living in you, that gives you power to face today's struggles. It gives you power to handle today's problems. It gives you power to overcome today's difficulties. That's what we're getting at here. And that's what Matthew is trying to tell the folks, those persecuted Christians... The spirit of Jesus is living in you. They treated Jesus poorly, horribly, terribly. But they couldn't beat him. 
And when Jesus said, said on the cross, it is finished, that is, was not a, a statement of, of, of doom. He was saying, it is finished. The mission is accomplished. I, I accomplished what I came to do. Taking the sins away from the people. That's, that's the point of all this. Matthew was saying to these believers, just hold on. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, that's all Matthew says about the crucifixion. Four words. When they had crucified him, five words, crucified him. That's it. No blood, no gore, no agony mentioned. It's almost like Matthew, it's, it's too hard for him to even imagine. Remember, he wasn't there, but he's seen plenty of crucifixions. He knows what takes place. So all he could muster was five words when they crucified him. That's it. They divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, that's the same charge. Remember that the false witnesses gave against Jesus. They're quoting exactly that false charge. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders mocked him, saved others. They said, he can't save himself. He's the king. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants, if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified also heaped insults on him. Luke tells us that one of those rebels, one of those robbers, eventually came around and said, Hey, Jesus, uh, remember me when you get in your kingdom. And remember Jesus' words? I'll do better than that, pal. Truly, I tell you, today, 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 you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, I love that. Guy had one last prayer, and it worked. That's all he needed. There you have it. That's who was on the hill with Jesus. Robbers. Romans. Passerbys, the angry crowd. Matthew tells us that in a distance were the Marys. Mary, his mother. Mary Magdalene. Mary, the wife of Zebedee. The mom of James and John. There were a lot of Marys in those days. Everybody was named after Moses' sister, Miriam. And John. John was there. John told us he was there. John was probably young. Probably too young, probably, or maybe baby-faced, you know, didn't think that, that the Romans would be after him because he was young or looked young. Baby-faced John, he was there, that's it. What's the point? What's, why is Matthew getting all this? I think he's telling us the point for those early Christians, 25 years after Jesus, who were being so heavily persecuted, saying, listen, you can be exactly where God wants you to be. Exactly. And it doesn't make it easy. Jesus was exactly where God would have him, right? Mission accomplished. But he was surrounded by people that hated him, were spitting at him, were hurling insults at him. This is saying you can do exactly what God wants, but that doesn't make it easy. And sometimes that's hard. When you're going through it, when you're in the storm, you think, wait a minute. This isn't supposed to, this is not supposed to happen. I've done this and this and this, and you know what? You can do this and this and this, everything great, and still go through a storm. God's word never promises you a yacht, a, a villa in the south of France, a huge 401k. doesn't promise that. What he promises is that he will be with you. 
The power of the cross is that he will be with you. The power of the cross is when Jesus is living in you, you can overcome those difficulties and those problems. That's the power of the cross. Sometimes we get a bad diagnosis. Sometimes things don't go exactly as planned. One of Carla's dearest friends, right now she called Friday night and her daughter ran off. Sometimes life is difficult. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is there. And, and the call that Matthew is making is, is when he, he, doesn't, he doesn't promise all these things, what he promises and what he calls for us is to be faithful. He calls us to join him, join him in building his kingdom. We say it around here, you know, build your kingdom in Flint as it is in heaven. Building his kingdom. He wants us to be participants in what he is doing in the world. And that's why I wanted you to talk with my friend, Allie Degner. Allie has been in, come on up, Allie. Allie has been in Africa. She graduated from Olivet in December. And she came to me and said, hey, I'd like to, you know, I'm going to walk with my friends in, at Olivet in May. But I've got this semester and, and I want to do something. And I said, well, you go to Costa Rica, which is really beautiful and cool, so I've heard. And I have friends in Dominican Republic that is really cool and beautiful, uh, so I've heard. And I have a friend in England, you know, and England is kind of, in London, Manchester, it's kind of a hit place, you know, and you can go to cool soccer games. I said, or you can go to Africa, Kenya. And you chose Africa. <laughs> Why did you go to Africa? So, um, ironically, it was the one place I wasn't super excited to go to but that was kind of God first working because he was like oh that's the one place you don't want to go to well let's send you there anyway (laughs) yeah it was um, decided I think I would go there for two months and I thought that that was a good amount of time because this was the first time I had ever done something of this caliber and I was like, okay, so I want it to be longer than a week, but I don't want to make like a year-long commitment to something that I'm not sure I can do. Um, so yeah, that's how I, that's how I ended up there. So what did you have? You had to boil it down. I, we could. I talked with Allie this week, and I could talk with her, and she has great stories. Tell me though, what's the one or two things that you learned when you were not one or two things. <laughs> There's so many. Um, the first thing that I learned is that it was what I expected, but also not what I expected in any capacity whatsoever. How so? So I think the first way is that these people are from a completely different culture than me, but they're not that different from me. So I was able to connect with students on a level that I had never expected. I remember it was... This Where were the students from? Tell us that, because they, they, we don't, they right. won't know. So most of them are from Kenya, but I also got to know a lot of international students from Tanzania, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Mozambique, South Africa, um, Ghana, and I think one was from Cote d'Ivoire. What else would you say you learned while you were there? I learned, I think, that they are just brilliant people. 
which I think gets overlooked a lot because people have this image of Africa and it's like half-naked children running around trying to get water, which is true, that happens, but there's also these brilliant people that are studying law and computer science and information technology and international business management and they're creating their own startup companies while they're in college and monetizing them after graduation and they just have I was hearing some of their stories and they just have the most amazing ideas and the perseverance to make these ideas come to life and that was something that I had not expected coming into Kenya but these people are transforming their world even though they live in a majority world country where they don't have a lot of resources but they're using what they have to make their own way in the world and to also use that to glorify God so I think the biggest thing what I went through last summer was okay how can I take a step of faith in my life that's going to push me out of my comfort zone and I think that's what we're called to do as Christians is to um not be comfortable in our faith because that doesn't allow God to do a lot of work. It's when you take that step that you don't know what's going to happen. And so um, it's so cool to see um, how he can work with your uneasiness and with the unknowns. When you just give up everything that you know, God can just, God can just work and bring about that bring about change in your life and bring about the strengthening of your faith that you've never really expected to happen. So yeah, I was I was hoping and praying that that would happen. I, th- and I think because it's in times where you feel less than that he can that he can work and then he's created to be more than. That's so. awesome. Allie, you have refreshed my soul and I am thankful. When I hear Allie talk and I think about Matthew speaking to those persecuted Christians, it takes me to 1 John who was speaking to those same, same persecuted Christians. And he, and he said this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we're going to be talking about this week, Good Friday. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions or sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Jesus Christ, what we're talking about Holy Week, laid down his life for us. And we then are to lay down our lives for others lay down I know so many people who you know they can't lay down their money their 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 gadgets their whatever their aspirations and Jesus saying listen I laid down my life for you and and the way you show your love is by you likewise laying down your life it's the old word it's surrender that's what Matthew is telling the people What's the future hold for you? I don't know. He's saying, I can't promise you that you're going to have a, a great, you know, wonderful mansion here on earth. He said, in fact, what I, what I am promising you is you may be beaten, you may be in prison, you may be martyred for your faith, but know this, Jesus is going with you. 
Will you be willing to surrender, surrender, surrender to him? That was the invitation then. That's the invitation now. Can you say all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. 